0: Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, and we thank you for the great gift of Jesus. Lord, our prayer tonight is that as we look at your word, that we would be convicted, that we would be uplifted, and that we would see the beauty of the incarnation, the coming of Jesus into the world to live among us. May we understand this, and may it brighten the season for us, for the glory of Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, unlike previous years, we do have a couple free chairs. Is everybody okay? Okay. Tonight, we are gathered to celebrate Christmas, and everybody loves Christmas. Even people who aren't Christians love Christmas. It's the holiday as a Christian, however, that we remember the incarnation when God sent His only begotten Son into the world And Jesus, eternal God, He humbled Himself, He took on flesh, and He lived a life of perfect obedience to the will of the Father. He is the only child to have ever been born without a sin nature, and for that reason, He is the only person to ever live without sinning. He was not born in a temple. He wasn't born in a castle. He wasn't born in, in, a, in a hospital, someplace where they're comfortable. He was born in a lowly manger. His birth didn't attract politicians or kings or anybody of power. Rather, it was witnessed by a group of lowly shepherds. These are all really, really beautiful things about the Christmas story. These are things that, that everybody kind of recognizes. These things are, are so beautiful. They're so wonderful, and they're pleasant, and they're, they're, they're comforting to consider. For five years now, it's been my pleasure to, to preach a Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve candlelight service message, and this has always been uh, probably my favorite service of the year. I always love singing the traditional Christmas hymns that everybody knows, but I also love learning the newer, uh, more contemporary hymns that are being written, a couple of which we played tonight, and I hope you, uh, you found worshipful. Christmas hymns are also a beautiful, beautiful aspect of the Christmas holiday. In fact, there are many, many beautiful aspects, many appealing aspects of Christmas But there is also a very dark side of Christmas, a side that we all too often and perhaps all too easily overlook or maybe even to some extent ignore. And that's easy to do when you're surrounded by so much beauty. We have beautiful lights. You know, one Sunday after church, we, we put up the lights. And I love it when the lights are up here. So we have beautiful lights everywhere around us. We have beautiful Christmas trees set up. We have presents wrapped nicely and neatly under the Christmas tree. We have beautiful nativity scenes. These things are all beautiful. But there is a dark side of Christmas. The dark side of Christmas is not the fact that our Lord was born in a manger, in the presence of lowly shepherds and animals. The dark side of Christmas is not that Herod sought to slaughter all of the male children in the region at the time of Christ. Make no mistake about it, these things are dark, these things are disturbing, these things are are even ugly. But there's something uglier. There's something more vile. There's something darker about Christmas than that. Yes, even this glorious day has a dark side. And you might say, well, how can there be a dark side to such a glorious and wonderful day? The reason for the day, the reason for the season is dark. And that's not to say that the incarnation was dark. That's to say that the reason For the Incarnation is dark. The reason behind the Incarnation provides a dark backdrop to all of the beauty that's reflected in all of the decor that we're surrounded by. The reason for the season is the Incarnation, but why the Incarnation? Why did Jesus, eternal God, have to step down out of eternity, out of heaven, and take on flesh? The answer is reflected in a lot of passages in the Bible, as you might guess. We see it clearly in the words spoken by the angel who came to Joseph in a dream or, or a vision. And he, he said this of Mary, his wife. He said, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For, because, he will save his people from their sins. That's from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The reason that we needed Jesus to take on flesh. It was also clearly articulated by Paul in the, the verse that we're going to look at tonight which comes from the book of 1 Timothy where Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says this saying, the saying being, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says that it's trustworthy. That means it's true. It's fully true. You don't have to doubt it. You can't doubt it. It's reality. And it's deserving, therefore, of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The dark side of Christmas is sin. And this is the truth that lies at the very heart of Christmas. And I don't say that to steal your joy. I don't say that to be a killjoy or to be a Scrooge or anything like that. I say it to increase your joy. The dark side of Christmas is sin. I say that, first of all, I guess because I'm a realist. And secondly, because I don't think it's possible for anyone to truly appreciate the beauty of Christmas if you don't understand the truth that lies at the very core of the holiday. The truth that lies at the very heart of of the Incarnation. Who appreciates the beauty of an oasis in the middle of a desert more than somebody who hasn't had anything to drink in days? Who appreciates the taste of food more than somebody who hasn't eaten for several weeks and they're on the verge of starving to death? Who appreciates air more than somebody who is being suffocated? In the same way, understanding the seriousness of the ailment adds to the beauty. And the core truth of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. But if we're going to say that, we better understand what sin is. So what is sin? Is it just something that, that doesn't feel right? Is it something that society rejects No, the Bible actually gives us a pretty clear definition for sin. The Apostle John gives us a wonderfully succinct definition for sin in 1 John 3, verse 4, where he writes that sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So if sin is lawlessness, then it seems reasonable to say that we'd better understand what law that's even referring to, right? The law is God's Word. The law... Is God's Word. So sin, therefore, is defying or breaking any of the commands that are given in Scripture. To sin is to live or to act as if there is no law that God has given us to obey. Sin is what causes us to think that we are autonomous. Sin is what causes us to think that we have the right to live by our rules as our hearts would lead us rather than in obedience to God and what He has commanded in His Word. The central truth of Christmas is that Jesus Christ, our Lord, became fully God and fully man, and He came into the world to save sinners, to save people who sin. And the beauty of that truth is found in realizing the seriousness of the ailment for which Christ is the only cure, and that ailment is sin. As we think about sin being the reason that Christ came into the world, my hope tonight is that you would see the ugliness of it, that you'd see the ugliness of sin, the darkness of it, and that understanding it, you would understand what that means for us and how it relates to Christmas. Most importantly, my hope is that you would Grow in your love for Christ and grow in your hatred for sin and that you would turn your heart more fully to Christ. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that all have sinned. Every person on the face of the planet, everyone who was not born of a virgin ever has sinned. It's not something that only a few people have done. No, we've all done it. We are all guilty. We have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. We have all defied God. We have all rebelled against Him in our thoughts, in our speech, and in our actions. In Psalm chapter 51, David says Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From the moment he was a human being, he was sinful. And so we have to understand that nobody is innocent. Nobody is exempt from this statement. All have sinned. All of us have intentionally defied God. And this is the ailment which will send people to hell forever. So we've defined sin. We've seen the extent of it. It applies to everybody. Everybody is guilty of it. We must also understand the nature of of sin. We must understand how it has affected each of us. And so with that said, the first effect of sin is that sin divides. Sin divides. It divides man from God. In the beginning, God walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve until they sinned, until sin entered in. Isaiah 59, 2 Says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The problem is not with God. The problem is not with God. You're not divided from him because he's not powerful enough. You're not divided from him because he's distracted or he's busy. You're not divided from him because he doesn't know or care about your condition. Fallen man is divided from God because of the sin of fallen man and the holiness of God. Now you might say, now wait a minute, I thought God was omnipresent. In other words, I thought God was everywhere. Don't you believe in a God who is omnipresent? Yes, I do. So God's presence is everywhere, so nobody is separated from Him in that sense. Rather, the sense in which fallen man is separated from God is in His fellowship with with God. Biblically, to have fellowship means to have things in common in a nutshell, to share things in common. But sin has caused us to be different from God. Sin has caused us to think differently than God. Sin has caused us to behave differently than God would have us behave. Sin has caused us to value things differently than God values things. And the consequence of that sin is that sin has caused us to act in a way other than God has instructed us. So we're separated from him in terms of having fellowship with him. But that isn't all. That's not the only thing that you're divided from. Fallen man has also been separated from God's blessings. In the story of the prodigal son, the father never stopped loving his son, but his son was no longer able to live under the blessings or to receive the blessings of his father until he returned home. Sin doesn't just divide you from God, it also causes division with people. Every single argument that has ever taken place, every divorce, every fight, every war, every unkind word, every incident of road rage, even every unliking on Facebook, they all have sin at the root of it. Every human relationship, no matter how peaceful it may seem, no matter how intimate it might be, every human relationship is tainted by the effects of sin to some degree. The danger is that you become so used to it that it seems normal. The danger is that you become so used to it that you you just fail to even recognize how much it is hurting interpersonal relationships. Sin divides you from God. It divides you from your fellow man. It even divides the most devout and godly Christian from him or her, uh, his or her own self. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so you have to understand, that there is, there's a division, there's a, a civil war between the spirit and the flesh taking place in the hearts and minds of even the most mature Christians. Even in the heart of the most seasoned Christian, sin is like a burning hot ember that's, piled, that's buried under a pile of ashes. The Puritan preacher and author Thomas Watson wrote that, quote, the sin of our nature is like a sleeping lion. The least thing that awakens it makes it rage. Though the sin of our nature seems quiet and lies as fire hid under the embers, yet if it be a little stirred and blown up by temptation, how quickly may it flame forth into scandalous evils. End quote. Sin divides. It divides fallen man from God. It divides us from others. And it divides us from even our own selves. But sin not only divides, it also deceives. It deceives people into thinking that they're good enough exactly how they are. It deceives people into thinking that they can sin and there won't be any consequences to it. It deceives people into thinking that they won't have to reap what they've sown. It deceives people into thinking that they can think and act and talk and even love just like the world around them does and that God is okay with that. It deceives people into thinking that they're doing something good or right because that's what their own understanding dictates when the Word of God clearly labels it as sin. It deceives people into calling what is good evil, and it deceives people into calling what is evil good. It deceives people into thinking that they are at peace with God when they are not. It deceives people into thinking that they are God's friend when the truth is they are living like God's enemy. Sin promises satisfaction, but it's an empty promise. Sin never gives lasting satisfaction. Sin promises freedom, but all sin does is enslave. It's so deceiving. Sin promises happiness, but at best, it's just an artificial form of happiness that goes away, that's fleeting. And what good is a life of artificial fleeting happiness if it costs you an eternity of misery? If there was no sin, there would be no division. If there was no sin, there would be no deception. But what's the opposite of deception? That's the cure for deception. The cure for deception is truth. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, He came to save those who have been deceived. That by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they might turn from their sin and believe in Him and place saving faith in Him. They might believe the truth. So sin divides. Sin deceives. Third, sin destroys. Sin destroys. It's destructive. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wage of sin is death. Death probably seems like the most natural thing in the world to most people, but the truth is that there is nothing more unnatural in the whole world than death. In the beginning, God did not create man to die. That's why God refers to, to sin, or to, to, to death, as the enemy, as an enemy, to be defeated. And death is caused by sin. It's the wage of sin. God created man to worship and glorify Him, and to enjoy fellowship with Him forever. And the reason that death and disease exist is because of sin. The wage of sin is death. Sin destroys the body, but sin not only results in physical death, it also results in spiritual death as well. Sin will destroy a family. Sin will destroy a church if it isn't kept in check. Sin will destroy a person's reputation if they live in a society that has even a sliver of moral uprightness in its fiber. Finally, sin is defiant. Sin is defiant. Even though sin has divided man from his Creator... Even though sin has deceived fallen man into going every direction but toward God, even though sin is constantly destroying man, nevertheless, sin still causes man to walk steadfastly in defiance toward God. That is the nature of sin. That's the nature of sinful man. It is just the epitome of foolishness if you think about it. Fallen man is like a pig who prefers to eat garbage, eat, eat you know, leftovers in a trough and roll around in the mud rather than going to dine at the table with the king and feast on the finest gourmet foods imaginable. Fallen man will be confronted with the truth, confronted with the reality that he has sinned against God and that he's earned nothing but the eternal wrath of God. And rather than melting in fear and repenting, his heart will be hardened and his resolve will be strengthened to live outside of the boundaries set by God. What reason is there to do this? It's insanity. It is literally completely irrational. What reason is there to live in such defiance of God other than the fact that fallen man by his very nature desires to be God, desires to define himself, desires to define how he may act? God's law, God's Word is for man's blessing. It's for his benefit. It's all for man's benefit. But sin causes fallen man to choose The curse of God's wrath instead. Sin divides. Sin deceives. It destroys. And it is defiant. Sin is the dark side of Christmas. The reason that we have Christmas is because of the reality of these things. But Paul says the saying is trustworthy. It's true. And it's deserving of full acceptance by everybody that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he adds to the end of that, of whom I am foremost. Paul knew. He personally knew the saving power of Christ. He knew that Jesus came for sinners because Paul knew that Jesus had come for him. He knew that Jesus didn't just come to save those who felt like they were already good enough. He didn't come to save those who lived under the delusion that they don't need a Savior. He didn't come to save those who would trust in their own goodness or their own righteousness to ensure their right standing before God. Jesus came for people who are divided from God, who have been deceived, whose lives are being destroyed and who are defiant toward God and that is wonderful beautiful news for the person who has sinned and, and rebelled constantly against God that is good news for the person who's been divided and deceived divided by from God and deceived by sin because if that's you Jesus Christ came into the world to save people like you and that is great news there is no better news Jesus Christ can change the spots of the leopard. He alone can bring pools of life-giving water to dry, parched ground. He can give deep, deep roots to a tree that that allows it to endure even the fiercest winds, even the fiercest storms of life. He can save even the chief of sinners. That's why He came into the world. He came for sinners in order to reverse all of the effects of sin. He came in order to restore fellowship between holy God and sinful man. He came in order to tell us the truth, the truth about ourselves, the truth about reality, the truth about salvation, the truth about God, including where we are headed for eternity if we reject Him. He came in order to give life to those who would repent, who would turn from their sin and believe in Him. He is the only way to be reconciled to God. He is the truth about reality. He is the life everlasting. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. Paul would write to the Ephesians, in chapter 2, he said, And you were dead, not on life support, not in a coma, not almost dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... We are all born children of wrath, but there is mercy found in Christ. This is truth. This is the truth that lies at the very core, the very center, the very heart of Christmas. But God, even though we were born as sons of wrath, children of wrath, God in His great mercy saw our ailment. He saw our inability to help ourselves, and so he sent the only remedy. Sin divides, sin destroys, it deceives, and is defiant toward God. But Jesus Christ came into the world whose lives are marked by these things. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Right now, there are a little bit over 7 billion people on the face of the earth. And every single one of us will have to stand before God someday. As a righteous judge, God must condemn sin. He cannot overlook it. He cannot just look the other way. He can't ignore it. He hates it. But He offers grace. He offers grace to all who will repent and place saving faith in Jesus Christ, who came to save His people from their sin, as the angel told Joseph. Christ will not only save you from the penalty of your sin, but true faith in Christ will be exemplified. It will be demonstrated in a person's life by seeing that the grip that sin has on a person's life, life, the, the, the grasp that sin has on a person's heart, will be released. That is to say, they will bear good fruit such as regular repentance, such as obedience to His Word, things that are unnatural for fallen man. The Bible grants no assurance of salvation to those who continue to steadfastly live in willful, defiant rebellion and disobedience to God's will and God's Word. And so for that reason, tonight I urge you to examine your lives, to examine your attitudes toward God in regard to your desire to be obedient to God as revealed in His Word. John Owen once wrote, Quote, on, on Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes. And I will be more and more crucified to this world. I will become, it will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy. I invite you this Christmas, friends, to fix all your thoughts and all your desires on Christ. That the things of this world would lose their appeal to you. That your greatest treasure would be found in Christ, not in your job, not in your family, not in who you are or what you do or what you have. But that Christ would be your greatest treasure. Friends, this is what Christmas is all about. The beauty of Christmas is that Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped So I ask you tonight, are you a sinner? Are you divided from God? As you examine your life, as you look at your life, do you realize that you are not at peace with God, that you are divided from God? Are you deceived into, into thinking that you can just wait until sometime in the future to believe in Jesus? Are, are you deceived into thinking that when you're on your deathbed, you can, you can make amends with, with God and get things straight with God? This verse, friends, this verse is your greatest hope if you have never put saving faith in Christ. This verse is your greatest hope. Jesus came for people like you. He came to reverse the effects of sin in the lives of those who would receive Him. He alone, Jesus alone, can reverse all these effects of sin in your life. And so I I implore you, I beg you tonight to turn from your sin and to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus if you have never done that. Believe in Jesus Christ. Plead with him to wash your sin away. He's assured us that if somebody makes a prayer in true faith, begging him for forgiveness, begging him for mercy, he will grant that, he will honor that plea. God has promised that those who place saving faith in Jesus Christ will be forgiven. God has promised that those who place saving faith in Christ will be saved on the day of judgment. He's promised that those who place saving faith in Jesus will be washed clean. They'll be pardoned. They'll be spared from the eternal wrath of God. Yes, you must count the cost of following Him, but at the same time, I urge you to count the cost of not following Him. Which is greater? One is certainly greater than the other. God has promised that He will give grace, that He will completely forgive those who repent and believe in Jesus. But God has also promised that there is no other way to be reconciled to Him. There is only one way jesus and only jesus came to save sinners on the cross jesus took the sins of his people upon himself they were imputed they were transferred to him and he bore the wrath of god against those sins as their substitute he bore god's wrath against those sins on their behalf On the cross, the righteousness of Christ is in exchange imputed to those who would put saving faith, place saving faith in Christ, so that we may stand faultless and forgiven and washed clean before Him in Christ's righteousness. Or maybe at some point in your life, you have made a decision to accept Christ. You had made a decision to believe in Christ, and yet your decision does not line up with your life today. Your life doesn't bear witness to a previous decision or confession that you made at some point back in your life. If your life was not changed by Christ in the slightest if today you continue to live in willful defiance, willful rebellion, willful sin toward God, I urge you tonight to review, renew review your life and to renew your commitment to Christ. If you desire to find peace with God, you must come to Him on His terms. And His terms are this, you must repent and believe in Christ. You have nothing to hide from Him because there's nothing that you can hide from Him. He's completely aware of everything that you have done. So leave all of your excuses behind. Forsake every rationalization that you might have for your sin and acknowledge the filth of it. Acknowledge the insanity of it. Acknowledge the irrationality of it. Acknowledge the extent of your sin to Him. And plead with Him to change your heart and change your life in order that true and lasting change would happen within you. I would urge you, friends, do not go home tonight and think about this. Don't just put this on the back burner until you get home because you don't even have a guarantee that you're going to get home tonight. Cry out to Him in your heart here and now as Isaiah said, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. But for those who have received Him or who would receive Him, behold the richness of your greatest treasure. He has come for you if you have even the smallest faith, if you have even the weakest faith, even though your sin might be great, He has come for you. He's come for you. You've found the pearl of great price that's worth more than you could afford, more than you could possibly deserve if you had 500,000 lives to do it. And it's been freely given to you as a gift By His grace, God has allowed you to see that every other thing, every other treasure is rubbish, is garbage, is waste in comparison to the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. In Him, God has granted you the strength to endure every temptation. In Him, God has granted you the strength to endure every hardship, every disappointment, every broken heart. And he's also granted you the wisdom to see that all things, every circumstance in your life, everything that you have, everything that you are, comes from the hand of him who is too wise to err, too powerful to be subdued, too loving, to be even the least bit unkind toward his own. Friends, I urge you tonight to be more than just a casual observer of this birth that occurred over 2,000 years ago. This same Jesus who was born in a lowly manger and is now raised from the grave. He's He's now seated on the throne in heaven and His earthly ministry continues through His people by His power. So be more than just a casual observer of something that happened 2,000 years ago, I invite you to be a participant of his kingdom today. Believe in him and live for him first and foremost. It was John Calvin who wrote, quote, If we do not perceive our wretchedness and poverty, we will never know how desirable is that remedy that Christ has brought to us. End quote. The dark side of Christmas is sin. But the dark side of Christmas reveals the full beauty, the full glory of Christmas. For those who will repent and believe and find life in Christ, understanding the dark side of Christmas, and actually enhances the beauty of Christmas because you understand that Jesus came for you personally. He came for you. And so this is not negative. This isn't a killjoy. This is something that would accentuate your joy. This is the best news in the world. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the beauty of Christmas. That is the splendor of Christmas. The wonderful and glorious thing about Christmas is not a Christmas tree The beauty of Christmas is not all the the beautiful decorations. It's not the presents. It's not even time with the family. All these things are good, but they're not the glorious thing about Christmas. The glorious thing about Christmas is that it's the time we remember the incarnation when Jesus came to reconcile holy God and sinners. And friends, that is what we celebrate. And I can't think of anything more worthy of celebrating than Jesus coming for sinners. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for sending your only Son into the world for sinners. Lord, help us to understand how serious sin is that it was so serious that you sent your son and you had to crush your son in order to redeem fallen man to yourself. And so we thank you for the amazing gift. And we agree with Paul that this saying is trustworthy and, and worthy of all acceptance, of full acceptance, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And because we are sinners, we praise you and we bless your name